Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to Cracking Addiction and we have with us addiction psychiatrist Dr. Manu Bhatnagar. Hello Manu, um, I thought we'd explore, you know, our, following from our previous discussion about uh, drug-induced psychosis and the difference between that and schizophrenia and mood disorders, I thought we'd explore how psychosis might appear in the context of withdrawal treatment or in the context of withdrawing from stimulants, for instance. What's your experience of this? Uh, tricky. Um, <laughs> it's a multifaceted. Um, Hence my question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, having the benefit of working in a tertiary hospital a lot of the time when I see this means that uh, it's not just me making up my mind after half an hour. Uh, I, I get to rely on a lot of scarics of information over 24 hours and see what's happening across a few days often as well. And that's where you can figure out the overall course of the psychotic experience, psychotic episode. Um, methamphetamine withdrawal is complicated by any means. Um, you get a very myriad of um, mental health symptoms over a period of about two weeks. Um, and part of that can be psychosis, it purely is withdrawal. Um, but the challenging part is when someone is experiencing psychotic symptoms to the same intensity for the entire amount of time um, and knowing how much of that is causative from the drug versus has the drug flipped a switch, like we said last time, and precipitated a psychotic episode that's going to go on for a while. Mm. Obviously, it's not expected that someone stays in hospital the entire time and treatment um, is a bit different, but there are some underlying principles between how to treat a psychotic episode caused by drugs and schizophrenia. Let's go go into that. What yeah, I mean, well, you know, the, the standard treatment for someone coming in for a, a detox of methamphetamine, for instance, would we would use benzodiazepines in a moderate doses around about forty milligrams, yeah. forty milligrams a day. If they were psychotic, is, would you then use benzodiazepines, perhaps in even greater doses, to uh, for the sedative effect, or would you leap in immediately to antipsychotics? Yeah, look, I think a lot of people would assume that if someone is psychotic, that first-line treatment, immediate treatment is antipsychotic. Just by the language that we use, that makes sense. But if you really think about it, antipsychotics tend to take four to six weeks to have exactly. an actual antipsychotic effect. So if we yes. found this upon the dopamine theory, which is probably mm. the best theory we have right now, but talk to me again in 50 years and we might reconsider it, the idea of psychosis mm. is that you have a surplus of dopamine flowing to two particular parts of the brain. Um, now, it's that's incredibly simplified, and I'm sure there's a lot of neuroanatomy that uh, even I just don't understand at the moment to explain it. But if stimulants cause an overproduction of um, transmission of dopamine in those areas, antipsychotics are dopamine blockers. So they block dopamine, not just in those two areas, everywhere, but that's, you know, because we're not very good at selectively blocking dopamine. Mm. But nonetheless, that is a paradigm in schizophrenia that we use at the moment, and that's a paradigm that has led us to deinstitutionalize, get people out of insane asylums and get them back into the community. And mm. you know, all the research that's happening in schizophrenia is to see specifically what's going on in different parts of the brain, but antipsychotics work and they have allowed a lot of people to have a lot of quality of life. So if we hone in on what stimulant medications, stimulant drugs and other substances are doing, the reason you get high and the reason they make you happy is because they flood your brain with dopamine 
and mm. give that reward pathway a lot of juice to be happy. So just by mm. that token, you could assume that blocking dopamine has some benefits, but it antipsychotics tend not to work that way. The reason it takes so long is because you're setting up constant negative feedback loops to regulate the amount of dopamine in particular parts of the brain. That means talking to neurons and slowly making changes, just the same way most psychotropics work is by um, establishing harmony with certain neurotransmitters. The thing is, antipsychotics aren't just about dopamine. So there are some antipsychotics that just block dopamine. They're not very good for a lot of people. They can cause a lot of side effects by blocking dopamine everywhere. The antipsychotics we use initially, um, they're also very sedating and they are good for agitation. So that's where they might be beneficial. But I do agree with you, Fogel, and I'm, you know that's why we do the things that we do in detox units and for acute agitation. We use benzodiazepines to control agitation and um, minimise the amount of arousal that someone is experiencing in an episode of call it psychosis or withdrawal or even delirium, which can occur after um, a, a lengthy period of hazardous drug use. So, yeah, there, there are two camps though, aren't there? That, you know, there is the, the camp that suggests that really you should just be relying on the sedative effect of benzos. Whereas the other camp suggests that you should be relying on the sedative effect or the early sedative effect of antipsychotics pending the antipsychotic effect because it's very difficult to then tease out is this a first episode psychosis or is this a drug-induced psychosis um what what's your gut i mean how, how do you what, what do you reach for everyone has a reflex uh, reaction between their brain and the pen and the script and the script pad yeah in the face of psychotic symptoms in the context of uh methamphetamine withdrawal what do you actually do i think knowing that it's definitely in the context of methamphetamine withdrawal drawing up a mm. timeline and saying, when did you last use methamphetamine? Were you well? Were you bereft of psychotic symptoms prior to using that? Mm. If you can establish those two facts, then I think yeah. the idea of using benzodiazepines makes a lot more sense to me um, mm. because you're not dealing with someone who has an unremitting course of psychosis for weeks mm. to months thereafter. The expected yeah. course of methamphetamine withdrawal is up to two weeks and even after some psychotic symptoms can subside in one or two days, um, anxiety, agitation, restlessness still persist. Mm. And that's why benzodiazepines yeah. have an added benefit to antipsychotics. Yeah. Um, so really, it goes back to that that longitudinal assessment. I, I use the word longitudinal guardedly in the context of a two- to three-week admission, but for most yeah. withdrawal uh, services, a one-week admission for the management of, of uh, uh, stimulant withdrawal is, is appropriate. Yeah. So watching the patient and awaiting that expected resolution of psychotic symptoms within the context of the supportive environment of a, of a withdrawal unit, plus using benzodiazepines, then from what I'm hearing, is, is, an, is an appropriate um, yeah. intervention. And if the patient can sit or persists in the manifestation of psychotic symptoms beyond two to three weeks, then that's the, the time to consider the, the, the primary psychotic syndrome, probably yeah. schizophrenia. Yeah. And that's where your treatment will also change. So like I mentioned, a lot of the medications mm. that are used in the initial phase of withdrawal and uh, agitation are your conventional, mm. typical, um, sorry, atypical antipsychotics. And they have more affinity, not just to dopamine, but serotonin and histamine, which are very mm. sedating chemical yeah. receptors. So, so tranquilization and agitation control. Mm. That's the end of the game in yeah. the first two weeks. 
similar to benzodiazepines. So that goes back to sorry that, that that goes back to the old classification of antipsychotics as major tranquilizers, and as opposed to the benzos, which were classified as minor tranquilizers, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a reason yeah. historically these names have existed, but you know, we we don't do that if someone has a first episode of psychosis. We don't use antipsychotics purely for the purpose of tranquilization. If someone is young and naive and um, can hopefully still in, try and integrate it as well, so mm. milder dopaminergic agonists are the first line nowadays. Um, great metabolic profile and also some evidence that some of the negative symptoms can be nipped in the bud if you use them early enough. So, so you're referring to the partial dopamine agonist, are you? Yeah, yeah. So Such as a drug, aripiprazole, yeah. 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 Um, so people with schizophrenia, on average, have a 20-year life expectancy that's below the general population. And you know, part of that's the illness, mm-hmm. but the other part is the medications that we have used for the last 30 years to treat schizophrenia um, are really notorious in metabolic syndrome and diabetes and mm. heart problems. So the new trend is to use medications that don't have metabolic syndrome and not only mm. can they be well tolerated, but they can also prevent um, the idea of treatment-resistant schizophrenia. Really, it's important to establish, you know, the, the, the de novo um, development of psychotic symptoms in the context of substance use to then make a diagnosis of drug-induced psychosis or, more correctly, substance-induced psychotic disorder to then try and just rely on benzodiazepines and await the resolution of symptoms but then have an open mind about the potential persistence of psychotic symptoms and then explore the role of antipsychotic therapy going forward in the context of a diagnosis of actually a first episode psychosis. That's right. And in that gray area, in that time frame where you don't know which one's which, that's why this phrase first episode psychosis has come up. So most mental health services will have a team dedicated to first episode psychosis. But if you look at any textbook, the DSM and the ICD, they don't have a code for first episode psychosis. So it's this vague, deliberately vague term that we've devised to say this is a holding area for people who may or may not end up having schizophrenia. But the other really important thing to know about schizophrenia, a big prognostic factor about long-term recovery rates is time to treatment. So the period of untreated time when you clearly have symptoms of schizophrenia, um, you know, for some people that's Luckily, days for some people, it's months. Um, if we're going to the territory of a year, the likelihood of having interepisodic positive symptoms really shoots up. So, this is where we sort of go is this first episode psychosis? And should we be starting regular antipsychotic treatment, even though? We don't know for sure which way this is going to pan out. So it's a, it's a controversial area. And, you know, even between health services, there's a bit of debate about which way to go. Um, but we do know that not treating someone when they're clearly debilitated by psychotic symptoms can have its own harms. Yeah. So there's a, there's a tension, isn't there, between those who want to watch and wait and those who want to get stuck in, hmm. even within the context of one admission for one, one withdrawal admission. Yeah. And I think... Fundamentally, the most important thing in the middle of all this is the patient and their expression of their preferences with which medication, which treatment they want, and allowing them to have the right amount of supports from a psychosocial point mm. of view to limit yeah. all the other modifiable dynamic risk factors of psychosis. Mainly, yeah. the most important one being 
uh, an abstinence-based policy. You know, there is no safe level of stimulant use. If you've had a psychotic episode once, yeah. you just cannot endorse any amount of safe use. And, and also, I think it's important in that context to emphasize that the root of administration of the illicit stimulant does not in any way influence the positive or, or and it doesn't help with harm reduction. So the risks of uh, psychosis and ongoing psychosis are the same with injected methamphetamine versus smoked methamphetamine. It, you know, it, it doesn't matter how you ingest the drug. It, it's it's all bad. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. At the end of the yeah. day, um, neurochemically, it's all going up there. Mm-hmm. So It's all um, going up there, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, the, the, the consideration of the treatment for first episode psychosis also, you know, all of those psychosocial interventions, the, the, the wraparound services, the non-drug treatments, they're absolutely crucial for prognosis and improved functioning, but it's also absolutely crucial in the context of, of, of abstinence in, uh, in drug-induced psychosis. I think, I think it's really important for us to, to, to not downplay the fact that ongoing care in, into the future, it's not predicated on the medication. It's predicated on the medication playing a small part in an overall service. Absolutely. And I think the best amount of medication is the least effective dose. So is if if we can, my role as often as an addiction psychiatrist is to say, how much support can we put around you so I can bring this dose down to a level where it's causing the least amount of side effects, but it's just enough to prevent the next episode happening. And um yeah, having supports and carers and having um, functional supports is vital. And I suppose my role is also to think about uh, what kind of supports I can put in place to help people achieve and maintain abstinence. Because really, you know, withdrawal medicine is, is, is the smallest step in the longest journey. You know, so my role as, as an addiction doctor is really the least significant part in someone's overall recovery journey. So a lot of people think, you know, withdrawal is the be all and end all. It's complicated and it can be tricky at times, but really it's only, if, if, if it really is just a, a drug-induced psychosis, it's only maybe, you know, one to two weeks of an inpatient stay followed by a recovery journey of abstinence and engagement with community and psychosocial supports and relationships with other people. Yeah. And something that's... You know, I, I heard in one of your earlier podcasts about dual diagnosis and methamphetamine use is that people who have schizophrenia or have a major mental illness are two or three times more likely to use substances. So that bi-directional nature of psychosis and substance mm. use is really vital because if someone has those neurocognitive deficits that come with schizophrenia and they are using substances, some of the tenants mm. that we use in withdrawal unit about um, you know, which state of changes they're in and all those kind of things are sometimes not applicable to everyone and you still need to see how much can I provide this person outside of the patrol management when they go home because they're going to need an equitable amount of advocacy and um, resources yeah. to someone who has a, a lot of their own functioning and autonomy behind them. Yeah, yeah. Manu, I want to thank you again for your expertise. It's been a great uh, discussion, and I really hope that we can speak again very soon. Thank you. It's good to be here again, Fergal. See you soon. That's all for today, folks. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been Cracking Addiction.